Tonight's program is brought to you by the China Hockey Group. The CHG is a family-oriented group of ice hockey leagues, training programs, and community initiatives geared at developing ice hockey in Hong Kong and southern China. Established in 2011, the CHG is comprised of various programs for players of all levels. From the exceptional Junior Tigers program, the HKBN Idol League, the Learn to Play and Learn to Skate programs, all the way up to their adult leagues, which include the SCIHL, for those looking for a fun recreational experience, and the CIHL, which is the only elite full contact adult hockey league. If you're looking for some hockey equipment, or if you even need your skates sharpened, stop by the CHG showroom in Central, an exclusive reseller of Warrior and Power equipment. For more information about their programs, check out their website at ChinaHockeyGroup.com. That's ChinaHockeyGroup.com. Hey, hockey fans, welcome to Across the Pond Hockey Talks, Volume 53. My guest today was born in Hong Kong, but raised in one of Canada's great hockey cities, Edmonton, Alberta. After attending university in Seattle, he returned to Hong Kong to work for the famous Shaw Brothers, restoring old films. In 2007, he started working with the great Barry Beck at the Hong Kong Academy of Ice Hockey. And seven years later, he and a few friends decided to start their own hockey program in the city and called it the Kung Pao Kings Hockey. Please welcome to Across the Pond Hockey Talks, Mr. Michael Lamb. Hey, Michael, how are you doing today, bud? Doing great. Thank you for the invite, Chris. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Hey, hey thanks for taking time to uh, to chat with me. I'm always uh, I'm always you know interested and excited to talk to uh, to people in the hockey world here in Hong Kong. And uh, your name kept popping up, and lots of people wanted me to talk to you. So here we are, Michael. And uh, you know, I don't know very much about you personally, which is great. That that makes this more interesting for me as well. So um, I know you were you were born here, and at a very young age, you moved to Edmonton, um, one of the great hockey cities in the world and uh, tell me a little bit about your childhood in Edmonton and uh, and lead that right into how you fell in love with the game of hockey. Oh, well, you know, my, my, my parents, uh, tailors, that's their profession. So when they, uh, they, they got married and then they were like, okay, we're going to try and go somewhere, immigrate somewhere. And they applied for immigration and uh, they had me before they approved it. Okay. Uh, then they got approved and they're like, okay, well, we got to bring them along, obviously. So they took me along five months old. Uh, I, I remember I was five years old and I received my citizenship card at the magistrates and I was looking up like, you know, when you're five and you look at things above you, yeah, everything's out. like how everything's big and grand. <laughs> like it was like a movie, you know, like how the, the, the judge, you know, like the magistrates, like super up, super high and you're just like, whoa. Okay, I'm granted citizenship. I just remember that moment, and I'm just like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, you don't remember like a lot of stuff when you're a kid, but if you can remember, like I remember that, it was very visual. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool, and I still have the card. So <laughs> of course, I'm a big fat baby, you know. Um, <laughs> no, and then of course you, you you you're in Edmonton, and my dad was like very much, um, you know, doing his thing, and all of a sudden hockey's on, and hockey night in Canada, right? So yeah. we started watching and. The Oilers were doing great, and I just, I just love watching hockey. And he'd be like, "Okay, come watch hockey." Like, I know you need to go to bed for school, but okay, come watch hockey. Like, yeah, yeah. Watch game. And then I fell in love with hockey, but I never got a chance to really play. 
um, when I was younger, I don't think, you know, I, I kind of knew like my parents weren't really at a point, uh, you know, even when I was younger, I kind of knew we weren't like uh, affluent at all and really couldn't yeah. afford like expensive sports. So they signed me up to like other things and I was very, very happy and grateful that they, they, they did that. I played like soccer, foot, uh, baseball, things like this. I actually really enjoyed baseball when I was a kid. I still do, but I just don't have time to play. Uh, but hockey's always been in my blood. And then I was, you know, after Seattle, I came to Hong Kong and I was looking for options. I thought, well, now I have some income. Maybe I can learn the game. I did a little inline skating when I was a kid. Um, but I didn't do a lot. I was never formally trained. Then I got here and I actually got on ice and started training myself and started skating. Right. And uh, at the ripe age and the perfect age of 24, I started. Hey, listen, there's no there's no wrong time to learn how to skate. And you know what? That I have a couple of friends that I've met here in Hong Kong, and it always impressed me. Like uh, this one friend that I have, uh, you might know him, James Diamond. Uh, he plays inline hockey. Uh, he plays yeah. uh, ball okay. hockey. Yeah. He plays. I, he played ice hockey. I'm not I don't think he's playing anymore. But guys like him who who are adults learning to play hockey. I was always really taken by that because, you know, it's not an easy culture to jump into. And um, especially here in Hong Kong and as an adult learning to skate, you're often learning with with kids. And it's, you know, it's it's a, it's a shot to the ego sometimes, but it's really, really impressive. And I really love the fact that people are willing to do that. It's, it says a lot about the game and uh, and what it's doing around the world. And especially here in Hong Kong, like we've got adult programs now, like, as you know, where there's learned to learn to skate as an adult, which is great. Um, so before we before we get to to your life here in Hong Kong, I'd like to go back. I mean, you you, you skipped by your your childhood a little bit too fast for me there, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you didn't play hockey growing up. You loved the game, of course. You're in Edmonton in the '80s, probably the yep. best uh, the best city to be in as a hockey fan at that time. And uh, was so hockey wasn't really on your radar as a as a coach as a player as a referee, but it was just something you were passionate about. So in high school, when you are, you know, leading into your university days, did you have any inkling that someday you might be involved in the sport? No, not at all. Not at all. Wow. I mean, I, 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 not, not at all. I was a drama major. Oh, excellent. And, yep. uh, yeah, I was, I was a drama major, arts major. And then I, I, I got out of that because I knew like, I didn't, I don't know. I didn't really. Want so to... you went to school in Seattle. What school did you go to? I went to the Art Institute of uh, Seattle. Now it's defunct. Okay, they, gotcha. They, yeah, it was bought out by a company, and then it went downhill for some reason. And, but yeah, I got my video uh, production degree there, and yeah, no, I mean, as a as a, as a kid, we never. I don't know. The, I saw a lot of other kids playing, and I know a lot of guys from Edmonton living here that played while I was a kid. And they were playing, but I never knew. Like I, I, I didn't know. And uh, and I got here, and I met Edmontonians playing that were playing hockey over there, and they brought it here. And I'm like, oh, okay. So <laughs> it's it's a really small world, right? Like. And as a, as a teenager, did you often travel to Hong Kong uh, with your family, and or were you no, you didn't? Okay. No, no, we didn't. No, no. As a kid, I came here once, and I remembered the smells. <laughs> and I thought it smelled like piss and excuse the, excuse me, but uh, are we allowed to like use sports? Yeah, yeah, you, this... you're, you can use whatever language you like. I don't, I don't want to go too too much, but I mean, yeah. Yeah, it smelled like piss and, and a little bit of like like poo. And yeah. like, man, this smell is really, and every toilet smelled bad yeah. as a kid. Like everything is like <laughs> 10 times more, you know, like exciting. So uh, 10 times more smellier. 
Yeah. And yeah, I remember Chuck, what was it? Chuck E. Cheese was here. There was a Chuck E. Cheese. Um, yeah, that was really weird. Hong Kong was weird. <laughs> I didn't like it at all. So, so I, what, I, yeah, what, what was it after your degree? I mean, you finished your, your degree in Seattle and what was your, what was your plan at that point? I was, I was doing a little bit of video work in Seattle and then I uh, was on the internet and I, I was just kind of looking around for jobs. And then my mom said, well, why don't you just apply to some like TVB in, 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 in Hong Kong, because mm -hmm. TVB is like a, you know, TV, uh, TV company here. Maybe you can get a job there laying cable or whatever. And I mean, I have a degree, so I mean, it would make sense. So I applied and I surprisingly had a response. <laughs> what? <laughs> out of all the places yeah yeah so yeah it was really interesting and they, they said well if you come out for an interview uh yeah it'd be good that if you because we're looking for people to, to, to work on 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 this on this project mm -hmm. so yeah so you were restoring you were restoring old films for a pretty famous company here how long did that last um the, that project went on for five years i stayed one year okay the first year yeah, it was okay. it was quite a um, actually it was very difficult on on everybody there. Uh, the turnover was quite high. It's it's not an easy job staring at a screen because they had twenty four hour shifts. Like it's a it's basically a round the clock facility. They had like over three four hundred films to to restore, and um, yeah, it was ridiculous because they would have to digitize the films and then you'd have to go in like oh no, do you know Photoshop at all? Uh, a little bit. A little bit, or yeah. like you can paint, like you can yeah, use yeah. a brush to paint right. over like something. So literally you'd go through frame by frame oh. of a film. Like if you saw a hair or a dot, you'd have to go in and take, take colors and then paint over it and make right. sure that it was, you know, yeah. And sometimes we'd have high def projects. Like uh, those high def projects were ridiculous because every hair showed up, every dot showed up, right. everything was that there. That sounds pretty and, monotonous. Yeah, and so you'd be you'd be concentrating, and then your boss would come in and go, "Look, you don't need to pick up every hair. Um, just pick up like those really big white pieces of dust or some green mold that is, you know, formed yeah. on the film." Right. But yeah, so really interesting, really interesting process. Yeah. But and in that, so after that, you uh, of course you started getting the itch to uh, to learn and to play and to skate and to get yep. back on the ice in the early 2000s. Tell me about your experience uh, as an adult learning to play hockey here. Back then was not as popular for adults to learn, but mm -hmm. certainly there were some people and I was lucky enough because I, I had a little bit of free time. So I was quite determined to get better. Right. Um, I remember the first year of me learning how to skate I hit my tailbone five times. Oh, yeah. But other than that, <laughs> I mean, I was going to like ice rinks uh, during the day. I was skating six, seven times a week. I was just really trying to catch up because I saw what other people were doing. Like um, right. first time I went to a game was Dragon Center and I saw hockey at, at Dragon Center, the eighth, you know, the eighth floor rink. Yeah. And I remember Keith Fong was there. And I know yeah. everybody in Hong Kong will know who Keith Fong is. Yes, of and course. And I asked him, you know, how do I play hockey? He's like, oh, yeah, well, well you know, just sign up. You know, the season's already started, but maybe you can sign up for next season, put in your name. And I was like, okay, thanks. Like, yeah, I'm not as good as these guys. Man, I got to I gotta, I gotta get better if I want to play. So I started taking lessons. I joined WeHo. Back then, it was a little bit more like... Uh, uh, um, 
like mixed mixed groups because we didn't have as many uh, uh, girls playing or females playing. Yeah. And then they had a mixed group with uh, men and women. And then uh, I started practicing with them more. And then, man, it just, I just kept going. I didn't want to stop. And at the at that time, I mean, what what rinks were available in two thousand three? Here, there was only Dragon Center Elements. Was Mega Ice around in two thousand? There wasn't Elements either. Elements no, there was no around. Mega Box wasn't around. No, okay, uh, Festival so Walk. Right, but you couldn't play hockey there. Taiku was still around, but you couldn't play hockey there. Just I think scared. Dragon Center was the only place. Okay, cool. uh, that could play ice hockey, and there was a Riviera rink as well. Not sure if you're familiar with Riviera, but that no. was up in Chin One. Okay, yeah. cool. actually, no. where I lived, yeah, where I was living for a portion of my time here, they, they had a rink in a very small kind of like the you know, one of those shopping centers that are near you know, right. big complex residential complex, and uh, that rink was only for figure skating, so I think it was Dragon Center only at that time, yeah. And, and interestingly enough, here, Michael, you, you as you mentioned, 2003, you start playing four years later, you're joining a program, uh, with an NHL. A veteran named Barry Beck, who's a good friend of the show, the great Barry Beck. Um, all of a sudden, you're working with him. I mean, tell me about the, how did that happen, first of all? Um, I, I joined a, a Sunday league, um, which was organized by the Hong Kong Amateur Hockey Association at the time. Now they're called Hockey, uh, Hong Kong Amateur Hockey Club. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, became friends with some of these, uh, uh, some of these hockey players. Most of them were from Vancouver and you know, Toronto and, you know, all these guys. And then, uh, one of the players, uh, as you, as you may know, is, uh, Thomas Wu, yeah. who, uh, yeah. started the Hong Kong Academy of Ice Hockey. He also helped to start the amateur hockey club. And so he and a few other directors said, Hey, you know, we're looking to start a school. Um, you know, we're looking at bringing in a, a big coach literally a big coach uh, yeah. and uh they said you know would you be interested in coaching and we know you taught like i also taught english for a period of time here at, at okay. the tutorial center so they said we know you like teaching kids would you like to help uh with the academy and said this sounds like a great project this sounds amazing so yes i'm in yeah and that's how it happened and then i met barry i think in june or july of 2007 and then he was he was here you moved here <laughs> that's that's crazy man i mean the hockey world is such a small place but it, there's always room for anybody who's interested in, in helping develop the sport that's for sure yeah for and, no, sure, and, for and sure. people you know it's such a friendly world because people allow you to 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 do this kind of thing you know to jump on board even though just just because you're passionate about it and that's really that's the main that's the key um so you work with barry uh starting in 2007 how long did that last and um, when did you start thinking about uh, moving into another program and, and eventually starting your own? Um, I think I think seven years. I think we, we were doing a lot of projects. Like we were doing a lot of school demonstrations. Like uh, if you go onto the website, they they say nine hundred school. I swear, like I I don't know if we if it was more than that because we would go to the school maybe twenty schools a year maybe even more sometimes like, it was ridiculous how many times we went two schools a month sometimes yeah and we would yeah. do demonstrations with like 200 kids uh you know 60 kids and and like some most of them didn't even play what, the, what kind of demonstrations are you doing what do you so yeah. we show a video of, yeah. of like ice hockey like i cut like i do you know i'm a video guy so i i, I right. cut together a video for for the academy like basically a demonstration video talk a little bit about you know where hockey is the stanley cup um, talked about the rink, some rules, and then we would show them the equipment. 
we would demo the equipment, get kids to come up and wear it, and like <laughs> they wear the whole set and look like a goon, trying you know? on gear. Oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then if there was time, uh, we would spread out the gymnasium, and they would be on the sides, and we would pick kids out to play ball hockey, and we bring the nets and the sticks and all the equipment so that they could just try it out. And sometimes those schools would lead to a demonstration on ice. So then they would come on ice and they would wear the equipment and fall on their butts and try skating. Yeah, it was. That's crazy. That's so cool. I'll I'll tell you a quick story. My first school here, I taught at a school called Chan Nam Chung Memorial School, which is a boarding school for probably Hong Kong's uh, naughtiest hundred boys. and very wow. important. Most of them come from very difficult situations, as you know. This is located. It's right beside Canadian International in Wong Chukang, right before you go into Ocean Park from the back way. Yeah. So yes. I've heard of the school. Yes. Yes. So this, very this, famous yeah. school. Yeah. So this school is, is like a lockdown boarding school. And uh, <laughs> I was in my first year teaching here in Hong Kong, and I'm trying to relate to these kids. And it was really a tough first few months. I mean, uh, the the mo- the learning uh, curve and the motivation to learn was pretty low at the school. But basically, yeah. I had full reins to do whatever I wanted to make the kids interested in even <laughs> even just staying in the classroom while I was there. You know, not leaving or not, you know, throwing something at me or not like, you know, swearing at me, just trying to get through a 30 minute lesson, basically. So I started like after the first few months, I'm like, all right, I got to get rid of these programs that I'm doing and I'm going to just talk to them about things that I'm passionate about. So I just started teaching them about hockey, um, started watching some games live in the classroom. Awesome. Uh, Yeah. Like I've got the NHL network flying in the classroom. Don't tell anybody. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, talking to them about music, listening to songs uh, and just saying, you know, what did, how did that song make you feel? Or like, you know, just simple things. But so eventually I got them through this little program and there was stuff at the time. If you look on YouTube, you can find videos that explain simply like the, the neutral zone, like the, the positions on the rink, what the lines yeah, yeah, are, yeah. you know, basic stuff. So I went through all that and eventually uh, got them to Dragon Center to go skating. So I took 12 of my students, the Dragon Center, rented skates. And honestly, it was it was kind of like a turning point, in my teaching at that school. Once the kids realized that, you know, I'm willing to take time out of my day, take you guys somewhere, laugh and joke and have a good time. You know, and they're falling all over the place, but they're getting up every time. They're holding my hand, skating around the rink. Like I've got videos and pictures of this and it's absolutely priceless. We're wearing those, you know, the worst hockey skates oh. you could find on the planet. They're falling apart. Those um, ankle bending skates. Yeah, exactly. Oh. But like, yeah, so those guys really, you know, that was an opportunity uh, for those kids to, to explore the sport a little bit. And I mean, there's so many things and so many stories uh, that I'm hearing from guys like you doing the exact same thing and getting out into the schools. It's the number one thing you need kids, you need, you need people to be passionate about it. So good on you guys for doing that. So uh, good on you. I mean, that's a great, that's a great story. And, you know, I, I actually hope that one day those kids, you know, maybe that school could form a school team. You never know. Well, I thought about ball hockey. Um, I was going because I had friends at Shanghai Academy, um, some other schools, Delia, guys that were doing the ball hockey stuff here. But I never got to the point um, because, well, there was there was a few issues around it. But, yeah, it was something that, you know, as we know, uh, 
sport brings people together. So why not do, why not use hockey? Right. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So, uh, two, 2014, you begin the, your academy or sorry, it's not an academy. Kung, uh, Kung Pao Kings hockey. Um, yeah, like a- so when you started, what was your, what was your goal for the program and, and how did you uh, go about getting things started? Well, because we didn't have a, any ice time, uh, we had zero ice time. So I was working uh, an, with another company that's now gone, but it was called the Hong Kong Athletic and uh, no, Hong Kong Community Athletic Development. Okay, yeah, that's what it was called, and it was basically an adult program that was like ramped up uh, for the LGBT community. Yeah, and they were a, an NGO, a charity actually that that. Um, reached out the LGBT uh, uh, community for playing sports. And so they tried to to bring hockey to the community. And it was quite big for at a time from, I think from 2013 to 2000, even 16, it was quite big because, it, it, you know, they would, they would do advertisements and bring all these people in to try. Uh, so I, I started coaching with them and, and then I they have a synthetic ice at their at their facility. And so I thought, okay, if I start a program, a kids program, and I could talk to this guy and say, listen, I'm not doing adult training. I'm doing kids, kids training. There's no conflict. And he agreed. He said, hey, start your Kung Pao Kings. Fine. Um, just rent the synthetic ice facility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> rent it and give me some income. Like, oh, yeah. Okay, sure. Why not? That makes sense. <laughs> so I was using synthetic ice, inline, and dry land training. So three okay. things to supplement all the other ice hockey training the kids were already getting with other programs. And I think the goal was to just kind of grow the numbers to a point where maybe I could have enough leverage to rent the rank. Right. Right. Yeah. So you were kind of starting as almost like a little bit of a feeder program or like some, an extra, you know, uh, option for people to, to just, you know, spend more time playing the game in some, yeah. some way yeah. or shape or form. Like if school is, you know, uh, all your academies and schools, hockey schools, I was like the tutorial center. Gotcha. I was, KBK was at tutorial center for, for like a year and a half to two years. You know, we this were trying is, to build numbers. This is the first I hear about that initiative with the LGBT community. I mean, that's amazing. And for something, I, I had no idea that that took place. And that started in 2013. Um, no, I think 2012, 2013. Yeah. And and they they had like over, like at one point they had 200 people on the ice. Unbelievable. Like uh, rotating through like 80 80 and like 60 or something or i can't remember the numbers it was ridiculous they were they were just they had so much equipment from bauer that they uh bauer was sponsoring equipment for them because they had too many players I was, that's, I was, that's incredible how is this possible how is this possible right yeah, so yeah, it's crazy so so you started in 2014 did you did you think you'd be getting to where you're at today with the program and and tell me a little bit about that development process how how you guys uh improved a lot over the years and how things grew I think I think uh, in any club, parent support is like you know, tantamount. Like you've yeah. got to have parental support. Yeah. And you know, I had a very good core group of parents, and uh, they helped to you know source other kids and tell them about the program and promote a little bit. Uh, I think, and I'm not going to say that I was like the KPK was one of the first clubs to do this, but I think we we hired a, we had a volunteer parent who was a very good photographer. Uh, Mr. Paul Yoon, and we coached his kid uh, Peter, and we, you know, a long history. And and the thing is, is that Paul's photographs were really nice. So we started posting like tons of stuff on Facebook. And not, at that time, not many 
companies were doing this. Not a lot of like hockey clubs were doing this. Like, oh, right. let's put all our videos online. And now it's ubiquitous, you know, and right. it, that's normal. And we've got to do that. So uh, kudos to every other company that's doing it now because they have to, to get the attention of parents. But at that time, no one was doing it. And I think no, that that's everything why was a secret. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was very, very like what's hockey? No one knew, and so yeah. I was posting all these photos and videos on Facebook, all our camps and all our programs, and like we started getting a lot of replies, and even the other hockey parents in other groups started coming over and doing our camps. So that kind of helped us to grow a little bit in name, yeah. and then we started uh, joining tournaments and and uh, uh, even as a men's team. And, and kids teams and started going to hockey fives and fours and representing there and going to China and playing tournaments. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's grown a lot, but I think we're slow and steady. Right. Uh, we're not though, you know, we, we don't have the funding or the sponsorship to, and, and it's not to say this is bad. It's yeah. to say that it's, you know, it's just a different way of, 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 of progressing. Like I yes. look at big clubs, like junior tigers, hey, right. I, you know, it's wonderful that they have the, the sponsorship and the funding to do it. And, if they don't do it, then who who else is going to do it? You know, right. and yeah, you have Typhoons doing it. That's great too. And we have all these hockey clubs that have lots of funding, and it's great for hockey. Yes. We, we actually have this backing. But yeah. then we have clubs like you know, APK that is you know, basically family funded. When we're not talking about hockey on Across the Pond, we're usually listening to music. And after the number of hours our headphones spend on our sweaty ear holes, they usually need a little bit of TLC. Luckily, our buddy Brandon from Accessory House Global is there to help. If you're in need of replacement cables, ear pads, or heck, even a brand new carrying case, this is the one-stop shop you need to visit. Check them out on Instagram at TheRealAHG or visit their website at AccessoryHouseGlobal.com. You can even get a 20% discount on your first purchase by typing in AHG20OFF. Tell them across the pond sent ya. So as speaking of funding, I mean, there's been a lot in the news lately about the development of hockey here in Hong Kong and, you know, all the background politics behind it. And um, as much as I hate talking about this type of stuff, uh, Michael, I mean, you guys are a smaller, you guys are a smaller program. Um, like you said, there are some bigger programs in the city and it seems like, you know, there were at times everyone's kind of pulling in separate directions. Um to me, what's what's really important to help grow the sport here in the city is to get everyone on the same page. Let's get equal government funding. Let's get representatives from everyone on board. What are your thoughts on on how like what's the step? What's the big thing that needs to happen to kind of, you know, spark a major growth here in the city? Because I feel like it's coming. There's so many good people doing good things in small aspects of the world of hockey here. It's only a matter of time before it all comes together. What do you think it's going to take? That is a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, take your time with that. One. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll have to cut, cut my thinking, my thinking time. Um, you know, yeah, cooperation is one thing. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's also that that the the parents realize that you know that there is this stuff going on too. And the parents get educated about it so that they're a little bit more involved. Yes. Um, when I was in Luxembourg and I was I coached there for a year, <clears throat> uh, the the Luxembourg Huskies club, um, they they're like uh, the biggest club there. There's only two clubs at the time, yeah, and, for kids. And the parents were highly involved. They're the directors of the club, 
and they had a stake in it because every one of them had their kid in, in the age groups that I was coaching. Yeah. That kind of involvement helped to kind of make sure that things balanced out, you know, like, you know, if they had a vote or whatever, they would actually have to discuss and the parents all had to agree on things. I mean, if we had, I don't know if clubs have this. I don't think the typhoons have a parent teacher club or a parent club. I mean, or a parent association. I don't know. I think tigers might have, I'm not sure, but it could help. That yeah. could help. You yeah. Know, that's the, a good point. Actually, Education, of course, always a good point, but um, having people realize what's going on in the world, in the hockey world yeah. here. And I think I that's, agree. but like, like I said, I think all those things are slowly happening because, you know, these stories are coming out. Um, there's uh, there's new blood coming in um, yep. and people are starting to really see the big picture. And I think, you know, it's only it's only a matter of time before something really good happens. I mean, it's an optimistic view, but I really think something good is going to happen here in the hockey world soon. Um, that yeah. kind of kind of, you know, catapults uh, something, something, something big. Uh, well, you know, this is the, the, one of the issues that we face in Hong Kong, too, is that we we live in a very competitive city and we yes. also live in a city where you know making money is the the biggest thing so you know, when you make a national team uh if you're working it's like when are you going to practice you know? yeah um we're, we're kind of in a similar situation with with croatia i remember when they came over in 2009 or 2008 yeah um they, they came over to do like a little demonstration play some games with hong kong players and stuff but talking to them, all of them had jobs. They were all volunteer national players. And I'm right. like, you guys are this good in your division two A. Yeah. And like close to like very close. And they kept going up to one B and then dropping down to two A. They were always on the cusp. And but that's one of the reasons why they couldn't dedicate all that time to training because they were working, you know, as a delivery guy or you know, pizza guy or whatever. And Hong Kong, we face this, except we're financiers and making millions of dollars, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't have time to practice. So even if yeah. you make the national team, it's like when you know when are you actually going to get better? When are you going to work on those habits that will change your game? And yeah. there isn't, you know, and who's going to coach it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that's the that's a huge thing. But the, there's also like what I'm seeing, and I think you know the growth of hockey in Asia has been, you know, as you know, it's growing quite bit, quite quickly. Yes. Uh, it's growing quickly in China. Um, things that need to be more of a focus is, is what I'm noticing is that you need to focus on um, youth programs, of course, education in schools, and then having the right people here and, and not getting rid of them, keeping them around. Yeah. I mean, you got to have people that show that have longevity in these cities. Um, Barry Beck's a great example. Um, he's not a guy that just came in here for two years and, you know, dropped a bunch of knowledge on some locals and then they kick him out of here. I mean, he's been here for a long time. Um, I've heard stories about uh, other cities and other places um, where, you know, they bring in some big names and after a few months, they're like, okay, we got it from here. Um, and that's, yeah. of course, not not a very smart approach. So yeah. I think the approach here is is a lot better. And the focus is on developing the, the youth programs, like you mentioned, all the all the junior programs yeah. that are happening here. Um, yeah, the youth program is very important. Yeah. And you mentioned that, you know, the competitiveness in this city. What are your thoughts on overall athlete development in Hong Kong? And, and what's something is, you know, is sport is sport as important here to locals as 
as you as you think it would, it would be or in other major cities or is it just starting to try and you know scratch the surface oh we're just we're just scratching the surface i mean it, it, and it's like, and, and, and the studies have shown that the kids that come from very high density cities there's less elite athletes coming from these cities i don't know why that is uh but doing this university course has, has has opened my eyes to some some statistics and i'm like yeah really that's crazy so yes yeah, so because we live in such a uh high density city we have a lot of kids but then at the same time like you know they're they're concentrating on other things yeah. so you know when you say oh can they become a you you know elite athlete this is very rare i think in hong kong like even becoming a gold medalist as a fencer yeah. that is like rare as rare like the fact that he got like millions of dollars from the government for doing so yeah that's a rarity right. you know um and, and i think sports culture has to change and with those medals it does get kids more into it yes. because parents will go oh okay we can see that there is a avenue for success or complementary uh mm -hmm. complementary success where they can take sports and help them educationally as well so it's not just I'm just doing sports to become yeah. an athlete, make millions of dollars. I'm doing it because it will help me grow as a person. So when I want to go to school. It actually helps me become better educated and become a more well-rounded person for sure. Well, you hit so the nail on the head there. I mean, that is the absolute key factor. Just, you know, it's sports aren't just to make a million dollars. It's it's the social aspects, the development, the work, you know. I'll tell you for sure, it's not to make a million dollars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I haven't made a million dollars. No, neither have I. And uh, I've coached, refed, done a podcast, played. <laughs> I'm not even near that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, I mean, and we uh, we just had, you know, three Olympic athletes come out of Hong Kong in the Winter Olympics. And, and, and I... Uh, yeah, and I'm talking to my students. Um, I'm teaching uh, junior form students, so 12 to 14 years old this year. Um, yeah. And uh, most of them knew the Olympics were taking place, but I'm going to say less than 10% of them knew that there were Hong Kong athletes participating. Really? Yes. Wow. And so I shared all the stories, and uh, I even shared, I went on our THK to do an Olympic preview show with them a few oh, weeks, nice. a couple of weeks you. before the Olympics, and uh, shared that with them, trying to get them excited because another big key factor to develop in any sport uh, is having a hero, you know, having a local hockey hero, having a local something to look up to, to give you that hope. And it also, like you said, it, it reels in the parents because yeah. the parents see, you know, this person's story, like the, the skier, for example, the female skier from Hong Kong this year, who, you know, went through crazy adversity to get to where she's at. Um, yep. And just her story is really inspiring. And, and if, the more and more these stories get out and we can, you know, the, that's what's going to be the, the thing that I think brings brings sport to the next level. And like you said, a big, dense city. What are And you skipped over that pretty quick. What are these stats that you're learning? What course are you taking right now? <laughs> well, no, I'm, I mean, uh, I'm taking a uh, business administration and sports and esports management. Okay. And uh, one of the courses is intro to, to athlete development and special issues in athlete development. And they really focus on um, uh, transitions and also like how uh, the coach and athlete relationship. And there was just some numbers that the, that my lecturer skipped. You know, went over like how you know lower density areas that there are more elite athletes. Um, I don't know if it's I don't know why that is, but like I know a lot of people uh, 
come out of like Saskatchewan and play in the NHL? Like, yeah. why is that? Well, um, I, that, well, I mean, that was in the nineties and eighties, but I mean, I don't know like now, but yeah, back then it was like, everybody's coming from, you know, Regina or some outskirt city in, 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 in Saskatchewan. And I guess that's kind of true, but why? Well, my guess, well, I grew up in one of these places. I grew up on a dirt road and I never made it anywhere, but I'll tell you what, <laughs> being not, not having, <laughs> not having a lot of opportunities, um, to do other things left me a lot to play sports because I spent every day after school, like I, I would have hours to kill. I wasn't out walking the streets or I wasn't out, um, you know, no. going to the, the shopping mall and walking around with my friends. I had not, I had a basketball net in my yard. I had a pond in the winter. I had to play baseball, you know, with my neighbors and things like that. It was just constant, constant, constant sports. So small town people, I think, you know, we get pretty bored. We didn't even have cable TV. So, I mean, that could be a factor and also like the motivation to get out of that situation. So there might be that extra little bit of motivation that I don't want to spend my life living in this small town. Um, and, 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 you know, hockey, the hockey world, as we know, if you're good enough, it doesn't matter where you're at. Someone's going to find you. Yeah, that's true. And I, and I'm hoping that that kind of applies to like the Hong Kong team, mm-hmm. because really there's been a lot of, there are a lot of good players that have, um, you know, uh, that should be considered to, to, to represent Hong Kong. And I, and it's really sad that this year they didn't go, but, uh, you know, considering a two week quarantine coming back and, I mean, it just didn't make any sense for them financially. I think that, yeah. you know, if the government's not even going to subsidize your hotel coming back, then there's no point. Yeah. You're missing two weeks of work, maybe, uh, to go just to just to represent. Um, it's really a tough decision not to go, I think. U18 and even the men's. Really sad that they didn't go. But, hey, you know what? If financially, you know, a financial decision like that, I think, makes sense. But yeah. then again, the curlers did go. Uh, Hong Kong does have a curling national team, and they did go. The women's did go, wow. unfortunately. Yeah, and the, and I think juniors went to Finland. They did one stint in Finland, but it was canceled due to a COVID outbreak. <laughs> oh, it's so sad. But then they got to hang around, got to hang around Helsinki and walk around and stuff. So right. um, that was pretty good. But then when they came back, two weeks. Gotcha. So um, before we get going here, Michael, tell me a little bit about the programs that you guys are offering right now um, at KPK and um, yeah, how people can get involved or, or get in touch with you guys. Well, thanks for that. Um, we, uh, we're currently running some ice programs at Dragon Center on Sunday mornings. And then that program actually uh, includes inline skate, uh, like inline skills and also a dry land session. Right. We do all three in one day. Uh, that's a Dragon Center program. And then we have a, a mega ice program, which is on Saturday and Sundays, operating in the morning and the afternoons. Um, but right now, because the rings are closed, obviously nothing going on. Mm-hmm. And then uh, with a little bit of, um, uh, we've got a little bit of ice time over at Lohas Park as well on Monday nights. Cool. So how can people, I'm, I'm going to share your links, obviously, but um, how can people get in touch with you? Where can they find you? Oh, well, uh, they can find us at our website, obviously, uh, yep. Um, And you can always in, uh, send an email to info at kpkhockey.com and you'll get a reply. Awesome. And uh, also, Michael, I know you're, um, you're involved in some pretty special other programs, some charitable programs. Um, aside from Fallen Stars, um, what else are you involved in? 
so with Fallen Stars, yeah, you know, talking with uh, talking about Barry and uh, working with him and Marie Etz and mm-hmm. um, and of course Don Brown, who's you know been a great supporter. I think as a, as a I'm the direct uh, one of the directors of the Brock and Mark Scholarship Fund Limited. Mention the whole name just in yeah. case. Uh, so it was a newly formed NGO that will start to take donations uh, to help fund, uh, you know, high school students that want to take university education here in Hong Kong. Uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be about mental health, uh, but uh, I think the mandate will be that um, we, we help anybody who wants to learn something to help people in their uh, times of distress or anything to do with mental health. So, for example, you know, music is a great way to to help with that or physical education is a good way to help with that so if any any students feel like they want to go and and learn about these things and then eventually also help out in that mental health aspect then we're willing to fund so uh i think we're going to start taking donations soon once we uh have a bank account approved and opened Uh, that does take time especially now in these uh strange times with banks and and money laundering and uh wars and stuff going on there so is a lot going be, on yeah the banks have to be extra careful so i understand that but uh, once once the account is open we'll start to take uh, uh some some more donations that will go directly yeah. awesome stuff man and such a great program so that's fallenstars.org um great organization um if you're if you have a minute please go to their website uh, find them on social media um, and get involved if you can uh, michael i want to First of all, thank you for taking time to talk to me, but also congratulations on all the success that you've had here in the hockey world. Um, you're making big strides and it's a very important part of the uh, of the puzzle here in the city. So thank you for everything you're doing and best of luck uh, with KPK Hockey in the future. Thanks very much, Christian. Thank you to Across the Pond for, the, for this uh, opportunity to share. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. Take care. That was Across the Pond and that's a wrap. Thank you once again to our amazing sponsors, the China Hockey Group, AccessoryHouseGlobal.com, Wheel Hub Asia, The Big Bite Restaurant, Felix & Co., Psalm Sleep, and Yardley Brothers Craft Brewery. And of course, our head honcho here at Sunset Studio, Mr. Paul McLean. Folks, if you want to reach out, send in a question or a comment to AcrossThePondHK.com or find us on social media at AcrossThePondHK.